son of a bitch. One moment, please. I bring you a message. Exactly six miles north of Skag Mountain in the Valley of Pain, there lives an evil devil monster. His name is Bingo Gas Station, Motel Cheeseburger with a sight of aircraft noise, and you'll be Gary, Indiana. And he loves to hurt people. The last time I saw Bingo Gas Station, Motel Cheeseburger with a sight of aircraft noise, and you'll be Gary, Indiana, he told me what he wants to do. He wants to come down here and kill each and every one of you. But I said to him, Bingo, wait a minute. And the reason I said that is because I believe in you people. I believe you can do the job. I believe you can help each other. I believe you can make this world a better place to live in. That's it. Never mind this how you say bingo. Just tell us whether there is a life after death or not. The following film podcast frequently contains adult content, including foul language and descriptions of adult situations. Spoilers for the films discussed occur often. Listener discretion is advised. Now take it away, Dr. Rausch. <laughs> they must be destroyed on sight! Welcome back to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. This is episode 158. I am your host, Lee. If you feel, you heal Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. I'm not bizarre enough, Harper. How you doing, sir? Doing well. Doing well. Cool. Uh, and we are doing a listener request. And this is going to be our official start into a little series of Westerns. So we thought we'd get rid of the, like the weirdest one first, I guess, basically. <laughs> uh, weirdest uh, is a, is a, is a very much subjective term, but uh, probably that's going to be the, the way this goes. Yeah, sure. I think I'm objectively right on this one, okay. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to be looking at greasers palace from 1972. And this was requested by Jeff Williams in the Facebook group. So there we go. We do have some comments to get here through here so we'll uh, get through them as quickly as possible and first one from jay deering he said finally listen to the host that jack built episode and it's pretty much what i expected you either love it or hate it i'd like to make monthly submissions of films i love that most people generally hate call it jay deering's shit pick of the month hey if you want to do it we'll read it on podcast jay and then he and, finished... and maybe eventually do some of the movies yeah he says now I... you have now, I now would like to... to say I was going to show up for that. Like I did not avoid last week's episode because I didn't want to watch the movie. I had so much other shit going on last weekend and I was just exhausted and just kind of couldn't show up. And uh, so I do apologize. I was totally going to show up and, and do that one. And I just didn't. So, you know, sorry about that. I think you got lucky. And Jay also finishes by saying, now you have to cover Pasolini's Sallow, 120 Days of Sodom. No, I don't think we're doing that. Not anytime soon anyway. Because I mean, I've I've seen it. Dude shits in a bowl and makes a kid eat it. Later on, they like torture a bunch of kids to death. Uh, you know, 
my feeling my feeling on these on the on like that movie and on, on that kind of cinema is yes it's very effective at giving you a visceral reaction and you're either going to respond kind of positively to that or negatively but it's also like i understand that 120 days of sodom is about the rise of fascism in spain it's not really about that intelligently you know mm-hmm. i kind of compare it to something like american psycho the book more so than the movie the movie kind of I'm not a huge fan of the movie, but the movie at least, you know, sort of attempts to, but like the book is basically let's read long sections of, you know, descriptions of Patrick Bateman, like nailing women's hands to floors and stuff like that. Like, you know, there's a whole like pages and pages and pages of these fantasies and interspersed with, you know, descriptions of these guys talking about the kind of Coke they're going to do and that sort of thing. And it's like, yeah, this is just a little bit obvious. I mean, in American Psycho, like if you read interviews with Brady Snellis, he'll say, yeah, well, you know, if you look at like the exact descriptions of the things they're wearing, they're basically look like clowns. They're not, you know, like, you, <laughs> you know, there is a kind of a, a metaphorical element beneath that. But at the same time, it's, yeah, but what's the effect on this, you know, by and large? And uh, I'm not saying I don't want to watch these kind of movies. I'm not saying I don't find that there's like a value to it or anything, but there is this sort of sense of, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a one note gag. <laughs> what do you want me to say? Yeah. You know, there's no review to it. It's just kind of like, oh, it's an experience. And then you're done with it. And then it's, uh, it's over. You know, I would actually be interested in bringing people who do like these films on to talk about them, you know, mm-hmm. who would like to discuss what's longer than like a two minute review of this. You know, it's kind of my, my answer to that. And I'll say this, the, the Von Trier film we did last week, I think there's definitely more stuff going on in that film mm-hmm. than, than just, you know, for shock value or whatever. But even then, Paul and I were like, we were really pulling shit out of our ass to try to talk, talk about anything in that film. Yeah, we're, we're, we're probably going to do some more stuff along those lines, uh, Jay, and, and feel free to uh, post your shit pick of the month and we'll read it on the show for sure. Sometime down yeah, I don't, I don't want to be hostile. I'm not trying no. to be like an asshole about it. I'm just trying to say like, you know, we're talking about a review. I mean, even something like the Battle of Algiers, which we both really liked, kind of turned into <laughs> what is there to talk about? This is amazing. Yeah. It's, this, it's this kind of narrative. You know, like I, I just, I feel like, you know, the the podcast requires us to have something to push against, some like material to kind of respond to. And I look at something like which I saw like 15 years ago, 120 Days of Sodom, and I'm, I watched it once. It was an experience. I'm kind of over. Like, you know, you know, and it's not that it's unpleasant. It's just that it's just kind of one note, you know, for me. So I would love to hear the answer to like, why is this worth revisiting and discussing? That would be the, you know, my answer to that. So, yeah. Daru McAleese chimes in and says, enjoyed the episode and hearing how much you guys hated it. He's not seen the host of Jack built yet, but have liked some of Von Trier's work though, mainly some of his previous stuff like Dogville or breaking the waves. Thanks for the fun. And he goes on to say in another comment, really enjoyed your older episode on Fargo. Great to hear Jack again and really liked his take on part of the movie being a slant on the true crime picks. Uh, love this film so much. Saw it first when I was a student and it stayed with me like a friend. I always want to spend time with ever since. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I agree with that on Fargo. Mm-hmm. That's that's a film you know, I, I I can always go back to. Like, that's, oh yeah, I put yeah. that on pretty regularly, especially when it's on like a streaming service that I have easy access to, and it comes up. I almost always hit play on it. You know. Mm-hmm. I think I actually owned that on DVD twice because I think I bought the original DVD, and then like later they came out with a um, like basically just special edition, not even like with any more special features, but just they sort of improved the quality of the print slightly. 
Mm-hmm. And I also own that one. I think I do own that one twice. Uh, so Nice. And then we go to Jeff Williams, who gives his recommendation of the week. And he says, it's time to brush up on your ghostly laugh technique by experiencing the lunacy that is Holy Flame of the Martial World. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a martial arts film. He posted a picture from it and it'll have a, it has a, like a, a Pai Mei looking motherfucker. Uh, looks like he's yelling. We'll keep we'll keep that in mind. Thank you, Jeff. Um, a high May motherfucker yelling is something I needed in my life in 2019. <laughs> definitely, um, not necessarily in my personal life. I would not no. like to like learn martial arts from a you know ghostly Pai May. But no. um, you know, cinematic form in a nine unit format, I'm totally down for that. I don't. I don't need a. Uh, I don't need a like a ancient immortal misogynist who hates Japanese people <laughs> teaching me martial arts. That's probably not the way to go. And we have one YouTube comment, and thankfully it's on the side of not horrifically racist and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so, like in the top like one percent of YouTube comments, got it. All right. Yeah. So someone called uh, Abukayana Love. Says a part okay. of me died. A part of me died when Truck Turner killed Nichelle Nichols. Well, there you go. That's that's a, that's. A, I get that. I understand. I feel. Yeah. I, I I want I want to maybe let Mister or Mrs. Love know though that uh, he didn't really kill Nichelle Nichols. I, I I hope we're clear on that. That was just in a movie. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope I hope they know. It's yeah. I'm pretty she sure never be, it's still alive, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it's YouTube. You never can be sure. Although Isaac Hayes is not, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really, ultimately, uh, Nichelle Nichols got the top end of that, you know, confrontation. She did. <laughs> Going to just briefly mention that the latest episode of Blood on the Tracks just posted that today, uh, as of the day we're recording. So that would be uh, Saturday night. And that's my second look at uh, Policioteski soundtracks and scores. So uh, people interested in that stuff, you can uh, download it from our main feed. And now we'll transition over to stuff we've watched in the last little while. And uh, I'll let you go first there, Daniel. Sure. Um, I just wanted to catch up on a couple of things. One is I did mention in a previous episode the um, uh, Monster, the Zodiac Killer podcast. Mm-hmm. Episode 15 has it dropped, so that podcast is done. I think they'll probably do some like bonus episodes. They did that in the first season. It's weird that, you know, uh, as much as I kind of spoke highly of that earlier, uh, four or five episodes ago, it really kind of comes, it doesn't really come to any like real conclusion. It's really just kind of an examination of the world mm-hmm. of the sort of Zodiac Killer. Like it describes the crimes and describes the kind of world in which these things happen and then kind of goes into, oh, the researchers and everything. But it does kind of lack a certain rigor in the way that it approaches some of this stuff. And I found that to be because I actually was like really interested in the first season about the, uh, the Atlanta child murders right. um, in the late 70s. And so I went back and listened to that one as well. And it sort of has that same problem of it definitely kind of it gives you a lot of information, but it doesn't really synthesize that information in what I think is like a reasonable way. It really doesn't like they seem to be really scared to really draw any kind of conclusions or even sort of inferences based on it. It's just kind of like, well, this is what happened. And like, that's, that's the thing. And like, we had this person come forward and claim this and that's, that's just the thing that happened. And um, it's very interesting in terms of a kind of uh, impressionistic look in terms of, you know, uh, looking at these crimes and kind of like seeing like what the experience of researching them is. But I do feel like that maybe it's just sort of the 
the desire to kind of not not get sued or not feel right. like you know we're 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 kind of doing anything in particular. But I really wanted both of those seasons to kind of come to at least some kind of broad conclusion, at least some sort of like. But it, but it does feel like they kind of peter out at the end, and uh, that was yeah. that was really disappointing. But I do really like. I mean, that first you know of the fifteen episode season, the first ten episodes are really really good. Um, and there's a lot of really good information. I think it it um, responds to the Fincher film pretty well. Just wanted to mention that because I mentioned it in the prior, prior episode. The other thing I watched, I watched this yesterday, finally, after three weeks in, in cinemas. I did get to see the, uh, the new Captain Marvel film. Mm-hmm. Everybody listens to this knows that the... Uh, the MCU is basically my like popcorn comfort food stuff, and the, uh, Captain Marvel served that perfectly, perfectly well. It does do the thing of making me feel like an ancient, old, decrepit man by making my teenage years a uh, source of nostalgic fun. <laughs> but uh, you know, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, it, it, that's not a fault of the film. That's a fault of time being a thing that exists. But yeah, no, I really liked the film. I liked uh, the relationship. The uh, Brie Larson is kind of amazing in it. I love the relationship between her and Samuel Jackson. I love the the kind of the storyline of it. Just it's, it's very kind of straightforward. But at the same time, it is an origin story, but it also kind of serves the purpose of kind of telling it. It's almost like a kind of born identity kind of kind of plot where there's like a music yeah. kind of going on. And so you get kind of a narrative through line while you're kind of also getting the backstory at the same time. It ends with some some pretty cool action stuff. I mean, it's it's a perfectly fine, serviceable like summer movie. I understand why it's made a billion dollars. It punches all those like happy buttons without really kind of being anything that's like complicated or kind of gives you a uh, a real you know some of these films are much deeper than this one this one seems to be kind of kind of more on that kind of light fluffy popcorn version but uh if that's what you're looking for and you haven't seen it because the film's already made a billion dollars but um i liked it i like almost all these films it served its purpose mcu you're still doing a good thing by my regard yeah I liked it, even though I, I could clearly tell this is not a movie that's aimed at 30, 40 year old white dudes. It's, it's really not. And then I see that's like a lot of the complaints about it is that, oh, they didn't make an MCU movie for me this time out. Well, fuck you. I, I mean, I it worked it. fine for me, and I'm, I'm in that demographic. I, I know, it's, you know it still like, worked you know. for me. Like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not some screaming, right, right. No, screaming no, man child who who gets right. offended if if it has a female protagonist i think the movie's really well made and i think it's really something you'd want to like take your daughter to you know mm-hmm. and, and see because uh you, you have a, a female protagonist who keeps getting knocked down throughout the entire movie she keeps like she gets gaslighted for half the fucking movie oh yeah oh yeah no <laughs> there, there's a there's a there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on i mean it's kind of like I mean, this the the Wonder Woman film was decent. Like, I liked the Wonder Woman film. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, this is sort of the good version of the Wonder Woman film. Yeah, you know? yeah. The, the, there's there's more of a there's more of an arc here with with uh, yeah. with Captain Marvel and and in uh, Brie Larson, I've loved her for years now. Like, she is amazing as an actress, and I think she does some really good work here. Even though I think that the character is a little bit underwritten, you know. Yeah, I think I think, I think she sells it really really well. It, it, it was really weird hearing the soundtrack, though, and, and and I feel like sometimes maybe it inappropriately jumped in at times, but it was still like, <laughs> oh, there's Elastica all of a sudden being played in a, in a scene, and oh, there's a Nirvana being played in a scene. How about that? That that old band Nirvana from like almost yeah. thirty years ago now. The thing, the thing is, like for me, that stuff is just what I still listen to now. So it was mm-hmm. like that. Oh yeah, it's just that song I like. That's all. That's all that was for me. I was. I was just on. The, I was just on, on board with it. So you know. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No. It's fun a fun movie. movie. 
fun movie. I'll just mention two things, and they're both Netflix films, and I thought they were both pretty decent. I saw Triple Frontier, which was the Ben Affleck, Oscar Isaacs, basically like mercenary film, where they uh, one one of the mercenaries gets a, a tip, uh, like he's he's working with uh i think it's i think they go to colombia or someplace in, in south america and there's this drug lord that they've been trying to catch and they get it he gets a tip on where this guy's money is and mm-hmm. how they can get it so he goes back to his old army buddies who are all kind of struggling like it does kind of touch on how a lot of people who join up for the u.s military service they basically by the end of their tour they're not supported by their government anymore they're not rewarded really for putting their lives on the line they just sort of come back and have to find jobs and you know uh, a lot of them struggle with lots of shit so they do touch on that a little bit and this is kind of like a men on the mission film that's not fun (laughs) and and i'm a little conflicted by that like i i really love men on a mission films but i kind of want a little bit of sense of maybe fun and adventure in them too even you know there can be serious parts to them and it can be deadly serious and all but this one's just really deadly serious like this one <laughs> and yet your favorite film is sorcerer so yeah know. yeah no i, I know <laughs> yeah, i know look at the fun look at the fun of you know like uh almost dying for yeah no i i know i'm a a hypocrite when i'm talking about this but there's something about this one there was it was just kind of depressing it was just wow these guys are just making all the wrong decisions and they're just they're setting up they're basically putting themselves in their own coffins uh i'll just spoil it ben affleck he just gets his fucking head ventilated near the end of the movie just because of uh, something he did earlier and it catches up with him generally pretty good like pretty uh it it feels realistic like this is like kind of what former soldiers who become mercenaries kind of what they probably end up facing like you know because they go into countries pretty much illegally and is this this a modern film or is this it's modern um... yeah so it's set present day mm-hmm. because I was watching and thinking like, man, this feels like something that's supposed to be set in like 1984 or something, you know, like during um, the age of the, uh, like the Colombian drug runners and all that kind of stuff. Not to say that the U S isn't still involved in Latin America and doing like terrible things, but it did feel just a little bit, Oh yeah, this feels a little, I assumed it was a period piece based on you know, uh, the, the trailer. I don't know. I didn't get that sense. Maybe I just totally blanked on it, but I I didn't. No, I didn't get the, I'm not I, saying it is. I haven't watched it. Yeah, I'm just I, saying like just kind of watching the like two two minutes of it. I just kind of in, in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, this is set in sometime in the late '80s or something. But um, you know, still for like a a men on a mission film, it's pretty contemporary, all things yeah. considered. Like because most of the the peak of that <laughs> genre is all like '60s and '70s films. So sure. The other one I watched just came out. The Highwaymen with Kevin mm-hmm. Costner and Woody Harrelson. And this is a different take on the Bonnie and Clyde story because this one doesn't follow Bonnie and Clyde. It follows the two retired Texas Rangers who are brought back as basically special highway marshals or something like that. They're given like bullshit titles because it was it was done a little bit off the books. and But they were brought back because they had skills as manhunters. So they were brought back to hunt down Bonnie and Clyde, and they eventually did. And that didn't end very well for Bonnie and Clyde. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, spoilers. No, I really liked it a lot. It, it it doesn't do what Bonnie and Clyde from the 60s did, where it sort of romanticized the two characters. Uh, they're treated more like almost mythical in a, in a way, untouchable, unseeable. Like they're always shot from a distance or their faces are, are obscured for the most part. And uh, it's more about the two characters. Uh, They're basically two aging cowboys because before they became Texas Rangers, they were basically just cowboys, like doing cowboy shit, like at the end of the cowboy times. 
And so they come out of retirement. And this movie could be, I'm too old for this shit, the movie, basically, because they're both, <laughs> because they're, they're... This, this sounds like something we need to do on the, on the, on the podcast, because, like, I, I've been kind of eyeing this one as, like, oh, Costner and Harrelson, I'm interested in this. Also, this could be awful. There, there is, you know, sort of, like, a lot of the Netflix program, particularly the sort of dramatic programming, has a little bit of a, like, paint-by-numbers approach. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there have been pieces written, we've seen kind of people talk about the way that, like, Netflix is essentially, like, designing series and designing their original programming by algorithm at this point, you know, mm-hmm. like... And, you know, so there is like, oh, this slots into some particular thing and we're going to spend, you know, $40 million making it, but we're going to get so much like return back. And it's just, you know, this kind of mindless pap, even though it might be like decent quality, but yeah. it's literally designed to just kind of give you the two hours of entertainment that convince you to keep spending the 10 bucks a month on your Netflix subscription, et cetera. And that that has been like elevated to the point of being like beyond a, there's a human being actually making decisions. It's just kind of, you know, and that's why a lot of the programming kind of feels samey. That said, if it works, it works, and I'm not going to complain about that. And I and I am interested in seeing the movie, so uh, I'll probably try to like put that on it sometime this week. So yeah, I don't see how this one would be programmed for anybody because if you, if your attention span is fairly short, you'd probably check out really quick because this is a pretty slow burn kind of film in a lot of ways. Like it's mostly just <clears throat> Woody Harrelson and Kevin Costner complaining about how much their like limbs ache and how old they are and. <laughs> <laughs> and there's there's a running joke of Woody Harrelson uh, has has a has a bad bladder, so he's always he always has to piss uh, yep. everywhere they go. And uh, it was really decent. Like I'm kind of convinced that Kevin Costner should only play lawmen from the first half of the 20th century. I think that's where he's at his best. And and here where he's a little bit overweight, like he's he's carrying a little bit of a belly. He he's losing a little a few inches on his neck, you know, like it's it's becoming more of his chin. He's very convincing as just I like mean, this. You kind of have me at Woody Harrelson and Kevin Costner as aging buddy cops in, mm-hmm. you know, pre-1950 America. I'm kind of on board with Yeah, no, I'll watch this. It doesn't Yeah, that's fine. Like, yeah, I don't care what the story. Like, yeah, just give me that movie. I'm fine. Yeah, so uh, I th- I think I'll leave it at that. Like we, we should uh, we should put that on the list when we uh, go into crime films. So yeah, uh, again, good. so yeah, so uh, I think both are worth watching. By the way, so uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Do we want to mention the uh, the Marvel podcast we're planning now, or should we save it for the end? We might as well do it now because. You've already mentioned it. This has been something we've been thinking about doing for like a year now. <laughs> yeah, I know. But yeah, Daniel put forward the idea that we should go back and look at every Marvel film from the start. All the all the MCU films, starting with Iron Man and kind of working our way forward. And I think we're going to finally like actually start that and do that as a, a separate track on this uh, podcast mm-hmm. feed and do those maybe once a month, a couple of times a month, just as we kind of have time to do it. So I think here in the next week or two, expect a new podcast thread which we don't have a title for yet but i think we should i think we should call it mike murphy will not listen to this i was gonna call it cape shit but yeah (laughs) 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 that works too yeah and we can put like an exclamation point in in place of the eyeing and and the worries that may you know interfere with some you know podcast feed provider thing you know whatever i know itunes kind of has issues with that so yeah um, yeah we'll call it cape shit with an exclamation point and then uh also uh lee and i've been talking about doing the dc animated films that sort of thing and doing Mm -hmm. some of those but i think we are going to start off and do all the mcu films 
as we feel like we should do them, you know, because that's something I've been wanting to do for a little while and just kind of have a an extended conversation about them and the uh, occasion of uh, Captain Marvel and now uh, the new Avengers, the uh, the giant billion dollar Avengers franchise mm-hmm. movie uh, coming out. And uh, we are going to be doing these in order, so we're not going to do them, you know. We're not going to cover those as they come out. We're going right. to wait a year and a half until we get around to it. You know? so. so you'll you'll hear our thoughts on Endgame three years from now. By the way, just exactly say. that's the plan. <laughs> exactly. The idea is to is to do the giant budget, huge movies that if we were to do them in real time, might actually get us a little bit of an audience as people just kind of discover it and want to hear Mm -hmm. what we have to say, but to not do them in any kind of way that would actually aid us in our marketing, but to do them in a way that we do them years after everyone stopped caring about them. That's the goal. That sounds par for the course of us. So yeah. 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 (laughs) Anything that might gain us an audience, no, we're we're we actively avoid that. The the whole plan is to let's talk about uh, acid westerns from nineteen seventy two that no one's ever heard of. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of that, we're gonna segue and we are going to go to some music and some podcast promos and we're gonna come back with Greaser's Palace, which I could not find a trailer for. And I could not find any soundtrack for, so uh, fuck you, movie. You, you made my do- job a lot more difficult. I had to like actually think on my feet and find songs that were appropriate for this. So there we go. I actually had to do more work than I should have. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. Most effective, Your Majesty. Will you destroy this Earth? Destroy it utterly. Send Rick and Danny in wool rocket Ajax. So, just destroy it? That's what Ming said. Don't you ever listen? Well, there's no arguing with Ming. Hail Hail Ming. Ming. Wait! You see those transmissions on the Visua screen? Crow? Nightmare on Elm Street? Chud 2? Black Belt Jones? Nightbreed? What's a critter? I've seen those things. Flash? I guess we could wait a while before the destruction. Yeah, and watch the movies. And talk about them. The Hell-Ming Power Hour. Disobedience to Ming. For now. You can find us at Legion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. iTunes. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. At www. You know what? Just Google it for yourself. Just Google it, you bastages. Hell-Ming. Breaking two? Electric Boogaloo? Samurai Cop? Army of Darkness? Flash Dance? <laughs> <laughs> we might destroy the planet if it's Flash Dance. <laughs> Follow me. Follow 
All right, Greaser's Palace from 1972, written and directed by Robert Downey Sr., uh, Mr. Uh, Iron Man Sr. himself, I guess. A prince. <laughs> uh, Albert Henderson as a seaweed head greaser. Seaweed head greaser. That's a bit of a mouthful. Luana Anders as cholera greaser. James Antonio as Vernon. Alan Arbus, who we covered in coffee as well, uh, as Jesse. Hmm. Yeah, that's... I was like, I know him from somewhere. And then I looked him up and said, like, oh, shit, we, we looked at him in coffee. He was the pimp with the uh, uh, weird sex uh, stuff. He was the... It, nice. Yeah, he was the one who wanted... <laughs> who, who wanted I like who, I to think it's the same character. That's, that's, that's my head canon. <laughs> he got done, uh, he got done uh, Pam Greer and making her go on her knees. And uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then became Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, you, you go to one extreme, I guess you go to the other after that. Um, Tony Basil, yes, that Tony Basil, uh, is Indian girl. And I had flashbacks to, uh, other side of the wind with this, with the <laughs> naked Indian running around. Yeah, there, there's definitely a bit of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Don Kalfa is Morris. Woody Chambliss as father. Pablo Ferro is Indian. Stanley Gottlieb as Spitunia. Joe Madden as Man with Painting, George Morgan as Coco, Ron Neely as the Card Man, and also the Ghost. And we'll talk about the Ghost here in a sec. Uh, Michael Sullivan as Lamey Homo Greaser. <laughs> some some of the humor's on the nose in this film. Yeah, and girls. there's there's a lot on the nose here. <laughs> yeah, uh, Hervé Velenchez, uh tattoo himself from Fantasy Island as Mister Spituna, and Lawrence Wolf as the French Padre. And the synopsis I pulled from IMDb says a parable based on the life of Christ. This ain't your father's Bible story, full of references about the destruction of the world through massive constipation and a new Mex in a New Mexican setting. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they're, they're... I, how do you describe this film? Ultimately? Yeah, I don't know. Like, good, <laughs> good try. Basically, I, I, I give you applause. So, had you heard of this film before, Daniel? And I'm sure I'd heard of the title. I watched Putney Swope like a year and a half ago, or something like that, yeah. and really liked Putney Swope. And uh, kind of did a little bit of a like just to just to kind of look at the the history of Robert Downey Sr. during that process. Uh, Robert Downey Sr. I also know as a filmmaker because he's one of the giant influences on Paul Thomas Anderson, who is one of my favorite filmmakers. And uh, he actually appears in Boogie Nights. Um, he's oh, really? the uh, yeah he's I think he appears in both Boogie Nights and uh, he might be in Magnolia as well. No, no, he's he's definitely a thanked at the end of Magnolia. Oh. Um, he, he died. Sorry, he and Paul Thomas Anderson's father both died within like a few days of each other um, during the like post production on Boogie Nights, and oh. like that was like kind of a big like emotional thing that kind of led to the production of Magnolia. Robert Downey Senior is like thanked in the in the credits of Magnolia. So you know, sorry, I just was like processing my memories of that. But he actually appears in uh, Boogie Nights. He's the um, record producer. Who, oh, okay. Um, who uh, has the, you know, when uh, uh, John C. Riley and uh, Mark Wahlberg are trying to get the tapes, he's like, no, the thing is like that fucking good, man. We're all going to, we're going to go. We're going to get your fucking money and bring it back to you. And then he has the line like, see, that's a YP, not an MP. That's a your problem, not my problem. Mm -hmm. That's Robert Danny Sr., um, nice. And uh, at that point, you know, Robert Downey Jr. was basically just a drug addict. You know, he mm -hmm. wasn't like fucking Iron Man at that point. So, uh, 
you know, weird, weird kind of cultural touches on there. Anyway, so I, I kind of knew Robert Danny Sr. from that. And, you know, um, there are a lot of references to his films and P.T. Anderson's films. If you kind of look into, you know, interviews that P.T.A. has to say about it and, you know, like some of the characters. Don Cheadle's character in Boogie Nights is named Buck Swope, and that's after uh, Buck Swope. Okay. Like, a, you know. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of that kind of stuff. So I had kind of, I'm sure I'd heard this title before. Um, this was kind of the big, like the one time that Robert Danny Sr. got a budget, but I'd never seen it until like this evening and I watched it and it has completely left my memory by the time <laughs> I like, finished watching it. It goes down really, it goes down pretty easily. It's a uh, perfectly uh, fine. Yeah. All right. Let me, let me just, you know, the thing with uh, films of this nature, I mean, this is, you give this deeply independent filmmaker who's been working underground uh, for years, you give him, you give him a million dollars, which is like 20 or $30 million today. You give him like a giant budget by his standards to produce this weird thing. That's his vision. And he produces something, which I'm sure if you saw this in 1972 and you were in this kind of underground cinema, you know, thing, you would find this to be like really interesting and intriguing. Um, it's also very much of that particular moment. Right. I like to think if you gave kind of one of these like kind of abstract um, lefty YouTubers, you know, if you gave them like a hundred million dollars and said, go make the movie of your dreams. Like if you gave H bomber guy or ContraPoints, you know, that, that kind of like money, <laughs> they would go off and they would make something that was in that moment, brilliant, but which had no like sort of larger connection to the culture necessarily. You know, Grisha's Palace feels very dated to me now in 1972. And in a way that even other films kind of made at the time, even other films that have a kind of more like commercial hook, because it just seems to be this sort of thing where this is uh, Robert Danny Sr. kind of working through whatever like issues he has with Christianity and with this kind of culture. And we've just moved on so much since then that I can admire the way it's made. I can admire the 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 verve that it took to make it i can admire some of the comedy i mean a lot of it is is, is really funny but it's also just kind of like i just kind of get to the end and i shrug my shoulders and say, like, yeah that was made in 1972 and that's kind of my <laughs> response to yeah it, so it definitely is basically an allegorical tale for christianity specifically sort of centers around jesus every every character in this kind of represents some aspect of Christianity, and I think specifically, it kind of like targets Catholicism more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Like, and so Daniel and I are both atheists. Um, like I said, the last time I read the Bible was probably age thirteen. I read it all the way through just to see if there was anything to it. I thought it was pretty absurd, and uh, a lot of vignettes that went nowhere. And hey, <laughs> here's here's this film. Um, <laughs> I mean, so much of it, I mean, you know, there is, like, the guy walks on water, and he does, like, a song and dance number, you oh. know? There's a bit where he, like, he brings people back from the dead, but, eh, kind of. Like, he heals the sick, but, uh, you know, oh, I can crawl again. Thank you, Lord, et cetera, you know? <laughs> I mean, that guy keeps crawling throughout the film. He's on crutches when he starts, and, and he it is, if you can feel, you can heal, or whatever, and fucking touches him. He drops to his knees. I can crawl again! Like... <laughs> It's and there's so a, there's a lot of um, there were a lot of films made during this time period in this kind of underground cinema that were sort of mocking various kind of forms of Christianity that were sort of mocking the sort of traditional religious piety, which in a weird way kind of became increasingly irrelevant just like ten years later because in the early '80s you see the rise of the religious right and this kind of rise yeah. of the evangelical subculture, which kind of changed the entire like cultural 
understanding of how Christianity was. I mean, it not so much changed the doctrines, although it did change a lot of the doctrines, but it just kind of changed the sort of political relationship. I mean, you know, and this became like this sort of more partisan thing, whereas I think in like 1972, this would have felt a little bit more like we were just kind of ribbing on the establishment a little bit more, as opposed to it being like this kind of particular kind of partisan politics kind of angle to it. Well, yeah, there's this... And I think uh, that there is that that kind of divide also makes it difficult for us to kind of see it as it was at that time. Now you can see this as much... like, Like if this came out in like 2004... This is very clearly kind of poking fun at George W. Bush. In 1972, it's just kind of like a vague anti-establishment kind of thing, you know? Yeah, picking at religion at this point, it it definitely would be picking at evangelicals, Baptists, something along those lines, whereas... Here you have, like I said, Catholicism seems to be the biggest target. When you, when I think of Catholicism, I think of old institutionalized religion, like mm-hmm. that the elites kind of you know subscribe to. So the the older power structure kind of thing that kind of did dissolve as the evangelicals and stuff sort of took hold in in society. This has a really absurdist feel to it. It's it's not quite Monty Python, but it kind of almost touches on it at times. Yeah, I mean it, it, there there is also a little bit of this where like I've seen the life of Brian a few times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so much of the thunder of this has been like stolen by life of Brian. And life of Brian has its problems, don't get me wrong. But you know, there is a sense in which like life of Brian is the more kind of overtly comedic, you know, made by like, you know, <laughs> absolutely brilliant comic figures of the late 70s you know yeah kind of version of this and it, it is kind of hard to kind of watch this now and kind of going like yeah this just kind of you know th- there's a really good 30 minute movie in this <laughs> you know? yeah it, it feels like it should have been rained back like even at an hour 30 it feels a little long well and a lot I of mean, Robert Downey Sr.'s films are you know short films I mean a lot of I mean mm-hmm. he has a lot of like 16 minute films and that kind of thing you know and so there there is a sense in which you know making a 90 minute film maybe was kind of not like, Oh, I'm just going to make a bunch of vignettes, but it doesn't really necessarily connect together in sort of a larger, like, even though it's only 90 minutes, I found myself kind of drifting away from it. A little bit, like watching Yeah. It, you know. Cause it sort of jumps to things that like, I don't really care about. I'm, I'm all on board seeing where zoot suit Jesus goes to, you know, like he, he, he literally comes into the film on a fucking parachute. Um, <laughs> right. And he, and he does a song and dance for the town and the town is supposed to basically represent the church to a certain degree, like it's the flock and the church. Uh, Greaser himself is like basically, I think, the Catholic Church. Everybody in his gang is always confessing to him, which I thought was kind of funny. Like they're they're always like saying their most perverted stuff they've done over the weekend or whatever. Like, oh, I licked her clit and then I fucked her in the ass, and st- and, and Greaser's just standing there taking it, you know. <laughs> Doesn't he say something like "I got her cunt juice on my face" or something, something like that? that. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, like, like it gets it gets very vulgar in places, right? And like, and but which in 1972 was fairly like radical to do, you know. Like mm-hmm. I mean, again, give him credit for you know give the film credit for being the thing it was, you know. I mean, it's in a sense it's not its fault necessarily that it has not aged as well. You know, no. like I want to like this film, and I do kind of like this film. I'm just kind of on the like, ah, oh, man, I just. I just don't want to watch it, you know? No, like, it's, it's like a one-watch movie, really. It really is. But, I mean, you know, how could how could Robert Downey Sr. know? Like, how, how could he know he that this would... Like, yeah. Uh, and, and, I mean, you know, if you're making underground cinema at this time period, you know, you're lucky if you get it seen at all, you mm-hmm. know? Like, that stuff would have gone to, like, you know, a couple of theaters in New York City and Los Angeles and maybe a few other markets. And that's, it. like, that's that's all the distribution this shit ever really got. 
And a lot of his films have been lost. A lot of them are just, they're, they're just, they're not available in any kind of commercial format. And maybe there's a print here and there in the Library of Congress or whatever. But this has more availability just because it was a bigger budget and there's just a little bit more kind of stuff going on with it. But at the same time, this is not something that like, you know, you know, again, neither one of us had really ever heard of it until we just decided to do it for the podcast, yeah. you know? And that's, and that's just sort of the, the reality of, of this kind of cinema. Like this was not something that got a huge distribution. And like, I mean, if you were into the underground cinema uh, scene in 1972 in New York city, and you went to like times square or wherever or you went to whatever, like back alley theater that was showing this and you did a couple of tabs of acid and you sat <laughs> and you watched this, you had a perfectly fine time. There's no issue with that. You know, I mean, watching it like on my laptop, on YouTube with headphones uh, before like trying to talk about it for, for a podcast. This is not the way this film was meant to be seen, you know? No. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure some of those people got a lot more out of the Holy ghost represented by a guy in a fucking ghost sheet over his head with the eyes cut out, uh, smoking cigars and, basically complaining about his part in the Trinity, whereas you don't know me, you don't know anything about me. If you only gave me a chance, I could do a lot of cool shit, but <laughs> you won't let yep. me do anything. <laughs> I do, you know, from my sort of cursory lapsed knowledge of Catholicism and, and stuff, I did like, you know, some of the stuff here. The Holy Ghost stuff I thought was kind of funny. Uh, I like the pioneer woman who is basically Job, who's just crawling through yep. the desert, getting shot randomly by bullets out of nowhere. Yep. <laughs> I like the magician. Uh, there's this one little scene. It's just a weird little scene where this basically this magician who's doing a card trick for Greaser. And he's, you know, pick a card, any card. And then he shuffles it in the deck. Is this your card? Nope. Is this your card? Nope. Is this your card? Nope. Pretty sure that's Martin Luther. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's supposed yeah. to be Martin Luther. Like, what interpretation of the Bible is the real one? You know, kind of thing. I, I think you thought about it more than I did. Honestly, <laughs> you know, I was trying to pull stuff out of this because I was like, oh man, I got nothing to talk about here. <laughs> uh, I mean, you have a you have a nun who is obviously played by a man who tries to basically rape Jesse as soon as he sits. She's oh, in him. Uh, you you have there's her deeply. I mean, in 2019 standards, there's a deeply problematic gender dynamic. It worked. Oh there, well, you know, how about and, uh, how about Herve uh, Villachez? Yes, who is who plays a midget uh, who basically tries to. Uh, you know, shack up with Jesus as well, which is, you know, and in, in, in his, he uh, wanted to give him both the myrrh and frankincense. Yes. Uh, yes. And his quote unquote wife is basically like a bearded lady. It's, it's just another man in a dress. And I can actually see directly where uh, the movie dead man might've got a little bit of influence for uh, Iggy pops character because it's basically the same character. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, lots of filmmakers, particularly in the in the New York scene, would have seen the. I mean, would have seen this film and, and been inspired by it. So it's, there's mm -hmm. no, there's no. I I'm certain that the Monty Python guys, when they were making Life of Brian, would have had this in mind. You know, and and there were other films of this kind of genre that they probably were kind of riffing on. And we just kind of remember Monty Python just because it was made by Monty Python as opposed yeah. to, you know, this, I mean, you know, again, I, th I think this is per a perfectly reasonable thing to make in 1972. I have no issues with, you know, it kind of existing in that time period. I'm just kind of like forced to review it as myself sitting here, you know, almost 50 years later and just kind of going like shrug, like it's fine, yeah. I guess, you know, 
So yeah, it's it's very on the nose. So uh, unlike something like uh, Yodorowsky's El Topo, it doesn't have the aloofness of that film where mm-hmm. it it ages way better because anyone can watch it now and pull more from it. Here it's kind of like directly. This is what it's about. And basically, we're talking about your <laughs> we're talking about your grand uncle's fucking religion here. Who, <laughs> that you know, the Uncle Granddad at the fucking. Uh, a family reunion that no one really cares about anymore. He just sits in the corner and talks about the blacks and, <laughs> you know, like it, it, it's, it's very much that it, 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 you, you've met my family. Have you? This yeah. <laughs> I think, I think we have the same family. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out, spoiler alert, Lee and I are brothers. That's that's been the the secret thread the entire time. 158 episodes in. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I got got nothing really else to say about it. Like, I I thought it was an interesting watch. Performances are perfectly fine. Oh, yeah. There's nothing, you know. Again, uh, Blazing Saddles is clearly kind of inspired by this. There's a Mm -hmm. sequence with a a dancer in a hall that kind of made me think of Madeline Kahn in in Blazing Saddles. There's some nudity, if you like that. Yep. Um, you know, worth checking out for that if, if you're I, on the uh, I did like it. <laughs> <laughs> I did like it a lot. I, like again, I was saying, I, I was. It felt like it was channeling under the other side of the wind somehow. Like yeah. you know, it looks like there are a couple of places to see this. There's a YouTube version that's the version mm-hmm. that I ended up watching, but it is available on Amazon Prime in a in a better print. But I didn't realize that till I tried to watch most of it. The, yeah, uh, on, uh, uh, YouTube. And I, I think of... it's also available on like Vimeo and some other places, and and so I mean it, it seems this is uh you know there's nobody really like hunting down the copyrights on this one, so it's pretty well it's pretty widely available. Yeah, I think I think there's a I didn't do the DVD research because it was so widely available online that I figured it doesn't matter, and like I I don't think either of us are like sort of given strong recommends here, so it's not like no. hey pick it up, but um yeah it's it, it's on YouTube, Vimeo, Amazon Prime. Uh, Shout Factory TV. Yeah, Shout Factory. That's the that that one looked really good because I checked the print after I'd already watched it and went like, oh, that's the version I should have fucking watched. <laughs> yeah, that that one. I think I think the YouTube's at like 360p and the Show yeah. Factory's at 480p, <laughs> and that's about as good as you get. Like, there's no if you if uh, you want to see the nudity, don't watch the YouTube version. That's no, no, definitely not. <laughs> but yeah, uh, budget for this apparently this was. They had a million dollars backing it. This was like yeah. his biggest budgeted film. Apparently, and, he had a buddy who just gave him who was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll give you a million bucks." You know, like wouldn't that be nice to just have a buddy? And in nineteen seventy-two dollars, <laughs> that's like you know, again twenty, thirty, forty million dollars today. You know, yeah, just some independently wealthy Broadway producer or something just gave him some money. Okay, and I don't, I don't have any box office for this. Who knows how much money it made or didn't? It, make. This definitely did not make money. Yeah, this I did. I wouldn't expect to. I wouldn't expect yeah. to. Um, a little bit of trivia for this. Robert Downey Jr., the son, of course, he has an uncredited role as the child who gets uh, his throat slashed early on in the mm. in the film. Uh, and Elsie uh, Downey, who played the woman, Thanks, who dad, yeah, <laughs> you you probably set him down his road to drug addiction. Elsie Downey, who played the woman, who is basically Job in this film, is of course Robert Downey Sr.'s wife. And also in the cast were Allison Downey and Stacy Sheehan, Downey Sr.'s daughter and niece. I mean, low budget, bring your friends and family in, that kind of thing. It's a, it's a thing that happens. 
Yeah, uh, as I said, Tony Basil, singer. She had the hit Mickey. Mickey, yeah. you're so fine. I feel like that song should be in the in the podcast ultimately. Yeah, yeah we could do that. And she, of course, she's the Indian girl. She's the naked Indian girl in this film. So you know, I don't know if she ever did any other films. I, I didn't check. Um, I if we were professional, if we were actually as good as the the projection booth, we would have googled that. We probably would have. Yeah. Well, no, we would have got an interview with uh, Tony Basil. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, American film critic Jonathan Rosenbaum used the term acid western to describe this film as well as the Jim Jarmusch film Dead Man. Uh, The term acid western was first coined by film critic Pauline Kael in reference to Jodorowsky's El Topo, which which this film is often compared to. But yeah, El Topo is the more memorable one. (laughs) It's the one people (laughs) still talk about. This one is... I mean, as sad as it is, it's kind of rightly forgotten. It, it yeah. kind of is. Yeah. I mean, you always want things like this to be available to people so that, like, it is, like, it is of, it is of worth to, like, people who studied this. And I'm not unhappy I watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, this is definitely not one that I would say, oh, yeah, seek this, seek this out. This will not make my, like, top 10 or even my, like, top 50 list this year. <laughs> yeah. If, I mean, if you're, if you're a very liberal Christian, you might get a lot of value out of this, but otherwise, probably not. <laughs> I, I don't know. There, there might be some fun to be had if, if you're uh, if you're a Christian who is a little, you know, as a sense if of humor. You're, if you're both deeply interested in the late '60s and early '70s counterculture, mm-hmm. and a Christian, and have somehow not seen Dogma or Life of Brian, <laughs> have I got the film for you? Yeah. <laughs> Start with this one and then move forward. Yeah. Exactly. Don't, don't see those other two first. Yeah, no, no, let's see this one first. That's the way to do it. <laughs> if you're somehow all three of those things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're continuing with our Westerns uh, next time. I think we should just get this one off the books as well. White Comanche with William Shatner. Okay. We should we should just we should just get another, that out of the way. William Shatner, man, we get, we're 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 really we're really like eating the shat this year. That's, that's <laughs> we're just full of shat. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We're covered in it. We've just got to sit on the bowl and strain to get the shat out. Like, <laughs> like in the it's film. A, and then really, everything it, will explode. It's a real shat catastrophe. It yeah. really is. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll be looking at white Comanche from 1968 where, William Shatner in in a, in a spaghetti western playing twin brothers, one an Indian savage and one a half Indian half cowboy who's civilized, and neither one of them look different at all except for one wears face paint. <laughs> I'm just I was really hoping one would just have like a really bad mustache and that would be the whole. You know? <laughs> That's if he was playing a Mexican version of himself. Oh, yeah. right. Like, you put a sombrero and a mustache on one, you know? It's like, yo soy mexicano, senor. Senor está la biblioteca. Hable inglés. <laughs> yeah. It's going to get super racist next, next episode. Um <laughs> I love I love that of all the things that we've covered in the last couple of months, like, oh yeah, let's just dive deeper into the racist cinema of the sixties and seventies. Hey, let's just let's, what we do. let's just whistle past it. It's gonna be fine, you know. <laughs> 
uh, if, if, couple if, of white guys talking about racism. That's that's always the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's what people come to expect from us at this point. <laughs> we just dive right in. There's just no, there's no attempt to like apologize or you know, just like yeah, we're gonna talk about white Comanche. Yeah, there's like active uh, red face in this. Uh, we're just get, we're gonna make fun of it and move on. Like that's. <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to do that. So, Daniel, <laughs> where can people find you on the interwebs? If you want to listen to me, like, take racism slightly more seriously. Just uh, you a can, bit. Just a bit more seriously. I have been researching the American far right for, like, two years, which if you've been listening for a while, you probably already know, yada, yada. Anyway, I'm doing a podcast with my buddy Jack Graham called I Don't Speak German, which is all about, like, the worst people in the English-speaking world. And um, it's kind of awesome, I, I will say. Um, so go check that out if you have any interest in that. Um, every other thing that I do is going to be at my Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. A lot of those new Nazis actually kind of look like a young William Shatner. Some of them do, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they I, they just have their the sides of their head shaved. Other than that, it's pretty much the same. They, well, you know, which is not necessarily different from like William Shatner in general. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Spock, I don't like your uh, race. Yeah, Spock, and you, could... you seem to be something of a mud person with that <laughs> half breed blood there. <laughs> like in, in reality, Spock would have just like used his super Vulcan strength and crushed his fucking head first time out. Like they, they oh, would yeah, be definitely, <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Especially if it went like straight up racist like that. You know, it just been like, oh yeah, and then and then the captain seems to have uh, become deceased. I can't explain why. <laughs> I mean, when you when you think about it, the mirror universe, uh, Kirk is really just Kirk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, the mirror universe, Kirk is really William Shatner in real life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that whole episode is just like an outtake where he just fucking lost it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com if you so choose. I don't know after this if you really want to anymore, but uh, you can <laughs> find Shatner us. state is going to sue us for sure. It's going to be great. Yeah, he'll probably be dead soon. Who cares? Uh, you'll... <laughs> I mean, come on. How much longer can he have? He's the, carrying a lot the, of weight. The... He's 80. In any sense that we have any um, friends among the Trek fandom has definitely like lost us long ago. I'm sure. Hey, I'm a Picard man. They they can go all fuck themselves. Oh, you and you and me both, buddy. You know. Yeah. Uh, so all the requisite links are there. Find our iTunes, Apple slash Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Facebook links. And until then, us two guys are gonna you know saddle on down the road, and we'll saddle on back when we. Uh, Come back with White Comanche next episode. See you guys later. Goodbye. Cheers.
You've been listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For other episodes, our links to Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and our Facebook group, as well as links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>